The following episode of Men's World of Sport is proudly brought to you by Cotton Media. To learn more, check out our website at cottonmedia.com or check out our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages to see the latest updates. Welcome to the first episode of Men's World of Sport. I'm your host, Daniel Menzel, and I'm going to be bringing you this sports podcast. Just a little bit about myself. Uh, I played 10 years of AFL football at the Sydney Swans and the Geelong Cats. And I guess the reason uh, behind this sports podcast is that um, not only was I in the AFL, but I had a lot of interest in a lot of sports around the world, uh, particularly overseas in America and in Europe as well. And um, I just wanted to delve a little bit deeper into into those sports and, and give people a bit more um, of an insight in, into them. And for me, um, playing at the highest level, you're pretty lucky that you, you get to see a lot of different things and um, a lot of contacts and, and know how sport works at the highest level. And so to be able to share that with others um, from the AFL standpoint, but also from other sports is the reason why I've come up with this podcast. And so we've broken it down into three segments. We're going to have a weekly sports wrap followed by some special guests from around the world. And then our last segment will be our top 10 countdown that no doubt will be thought-provoking and, and create some controversy out there too for the listeners. So uh, with that in mind, I'm going to introduce our producer, Matty Knight. Nida, welcome to the show. Dan, great to be here, mate, and uh, fantastic idea you've come up with here. And uh, good to be able to spend this time with you. And I thought I was a sports nut. You've well and truly got me covered, you know, just about everything about every sport that's going on around the world. So the viewers are going to be uh, in for a treat. Yeah, well, hopefully they will be. I think that, that my goal here is to just, um, a lot of people follow the major sports and they might know just a little bit about that sport that they, they follow, but um, just to give them an update on what else is happening around the world and um, a little bit more knowledge as well for those um, people who might be interested in following other sports. And I think um, one of the ideas that came to me was um, I follow a lot of sports. I'm in a lot of different fantasy leagues as well. And a lot of people um, are hesitant to get into these leagues because they don't know that much about that sport. And so um, I know that myself, when I first started to watch other shows and listen to other shows, you feel more comfortable with it. And, and you definitely um, feel much more a part of the conversation, whether you be in a locker room, whether you be at the pub with mates um, or just having a kick of the footy down, the, down at the park. So what we're going to do with that in mind is um, we're going to jump into our weekly sports wrap in a second. Um, we're very lucky today that we have a special guest um, who we, we thought we'd go straight to America. We'd go to American sports, um, something that people could relate to. And so our special guest today is going to be Aaron Sipos, former St Kilda footballer and just recently got picked up by the Detroit Lions as a punter in the NFL. So that will be a very interesting conversation there to find out how that panned out for him and what it's going to look like moving forward. And then our third segment of the show will be our top 10 countdown, which um, no doubt people will be interested in. That There'll be some people that will disagree with it, and that's what we want. And not everyone's going to agree. Um, it's going to bring back some great memories for myself and, and no doubt you, but also our, our listeners out there as well. So um, hopefully... At the end of the show, people have taken away a little bit of information and, um, and it's something that they, they'll enjoy and listen to going forward.
Today we start our sports wrap with the AFL. We sit, head straight to the AFL and uh, we're going to give you an update on where things are at with um, the AFL and, and what they've basically put out there in, in recent weeks. Uh, the good news is we're starting to um, get some sort of news from the AFL that we might be moving in the right direction and um, obviously Australia has been on top of things coronavirus wise the last couple of weeks and so we'll just touch on where they left things. So the AFL suspended the season back in March, uh, March 22nd due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, they at that time had talked about having a 17 round fixture and they were one round completed. So 16 rounds to go was the ideal time frame from there. They've spoken about going into November and December if that is required, um, which could be a logistical nightmare if the Cricket World Cup does decide to go ahead as it is um, planned, and that is in October. So that's something that the AFL and, and definitely Cricket Australia is going to have to work through. As we stand at the moment, clubs appear optimistic that quarantine hubs won't actually be needed. Um, that could be quite the challenge if players are expected to go into hubs in a state for 10, 12 20 weeks, it's even been taught about 20 weeks, um, where they won't actually be with their family and, and they'll have to obviously play footy and, and be away from maybe their kids. And that's a, it's been a really hot talking point in the last couple of weeks by the public. Um, no doubt a lot of people have sort of just said suck it up and play but I can definitely see both sides here and what they're actually uh, leaning towards at the moment is a fly-in fly-out structure which would be players flying into a venue um, on, a, on a plane where it's just them and the team and then fly back out and that's something that has been raised and definitely been talked about at the moment and it's something that we'll probably have more of an idea about in a week's time um, when the uh, national cabinet meets. This would save the AFL about $40 million on, on costs rather than going for a hub. So that's why it's definitely um, the way to go if they can do that uh, with planes and logistically as well. So what's interesting is the AFL did get a $600 million loan from the government to help them out. Um, so it will be a very interesting one for me and for a lot of people to look at what they do with that money. There's a lot of coaches we know that have been laid off and um, there's been a lot of talk around list sizes being much smaller in years to come. So no doubt the AFL will definitely be different going forward. It's not going to be what we're used to, but um, it's going to be something that people are just going to have to adapt to and, um, and realise that it's going to be a struggle for a little while. And so what um, the latest update we have now is that Clubs have requested that players return this week. So if, if players are interstate, just, just touch on Adelaide team for example, I think Port Adelaide probably is the one that comes to mind. They have 27 players interstate. So they've asked for them to come back um, over the next week, which look, is looking like it's going to happen. And so it, that should work for every team around the country, except for maybe two that could be disadvantaged. And that's the two teams in Perth. So West Coast and Fremantle, they have players from interstate and with their current laws, players who would return to Perth will have to go into quarantine for two weeks. So that would actually leave them two weeks behind in terms of training wise. So that's something that um, they're working through at the moment will be quite a challenge. So the AFL, we're waiting to hear news in the next week, but NIDA, I think it's, it's trending in the right direction. If we keep doing the right thing, then maybe June is when we could see some AFL back in action. Yeah, well, uh, it's looking a lot more positive, isn't it? And I think, obviously, here in South Australia, we're certainly leading the way in that. But um, I think what you're going to have here is it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens and, and see what the government says. The AFL's, at the end of the day, going to have no say, but we're heading in the right direction, Daniel. 
We are heading in the right direction. You touched on locally here in South Australia and our cases, as you said, have been very low. And so for those out there who are listening who are interested in SNFL local footy, uh, here are a couple of my understandings and beliefs going forward as to what might happen. So the SNFL was looking at between a seven and a 14 week season going forward and, and they could play as late into, into December. Um, however, one thing that they will require is they will require crowds to be there for half the season because financially they'll be at a loss otherwise. So that's something that um, obviously being a part of the SNFL at the moment myself, it's one that I'm looking at and just a little bit questionable because the government's going to control the gatherings and whether people actually can go and watch footy. And I mean, we want people there at games. It's so much better for the atmosphere and, and whatnot. But at the same time, we also understand why they might be a bit hesitant to allow crowds this year. And if that's the case, then we might not actually get any SNFL football. We'll move from there to local footy. And um, personally, I'm not confident that it will go ahead this year. Um, a lot of local footballers out there won't love hearing that. But the, the challenge they're going to have is that they're, they're going to have a lot of local clubs have cricket clubs and footy clubs that are joined together. And so, unfortunately, the longer this drags on, um, the closer we get to the cricket season starting. And, and you're just not going to be able to have your South Goolers, your... Golden Groves, clubs that have cricket clubs um, playing on the same venue, is just not going to work. So that's where logistically it might just be a little bit tough for local footy to go ahead. Um, in saying that, if things keep playing out the way they do, then we still could have a season. So that's where local footy's at. We'll just finish on the AFLW, which um, cancelled their season uh, during the finals with no premiership awarded. So this was one that um, you feel for the AFL women's players and the comp. There's teams there that um, maybe could have been given the premiership. Fremantle is one who comes to mind. They were undefeated going into the um, semi-final, but the AFL decided that in the integrity of the competition, they couldn't award a premier. From AFL, we're going to move to rugby and the NRL. So the NRL has been even more bullish than the AFL to get a season started in 2020. So they're looking at playing on May the 28th, which is obviously less than a month away. So just with that, the New Zealand Warriors flew into Tamworth um, in the last couple of days and have got a hub set up in, in Tamworth in New South Wales for the foreseeable future. So they've moved away from their families knowing that they're not actually sure when they're going to go back and how many games they're going to play. They, uh, the NRL has um, been very strong on this, that they want to get games going. And the reason being is financially, the AFL is in trouble, but the NRL is in a lot more pain. They just don't have the same amount of supporters that go to games, memberships, things like that. So they really need to get um, players back. And, and so that's why they're heading down that path. Um, a couple of players, Latrell Mitchell, Josh Adokar and Nathan Cleary, um, aren't helping that for the NRL. They all got suspended, um, they got suspended fines for bringing the game into disrepute. And I think a lot of us, NIDA, saw the photo that they posted on online only a week or two ago, and there was about 10 of them there. And social distancing at the time was two people, I think it was. And um, they did claim that they were all part of the same family, which, um, I mean, if you're gonna do that, probably don't put it on social media. Well, I think the one thing with a lot of that Daniel and I know the AFL had one over, I reckon it might have been a few young West Coast boys as well that might have got into some strife with that as well and it's never the players that put it on social media, it's always their friends so 
find yourself some new friends or um, you, you would have thought that they got to learn, but no, they're in a bit of strife. They are in a bit of strife. We're gonna to touch on Super Rugby, um, which was seven rounds into the competition. That's a bit tougher for Super Rugby because in that competition, it's uh, there's conferences in Australia, New Zealand and South Africa, and we obviously have the border restrictions. And so they've talked about playing um, in, in their own conference. So the Australian teams playing against their own teams for the foreseeable future. And that way they might get some finals out of that. Cricket uh, is a very interesting one. That We've got the T20 World Cup coming up this year in uh, in Australia and it's scheduled from the October the 18th to November the 15th. So that's a competition that, um, as we talk at the moment, there's talks that they might postpone it by two to three months, which logistically would be a massive nightmare um, for the Cricketing Council to do that. The thing that that might do is it might actually help the AFL because if they do postpone it by two or three months, it, it goes into 2021, the AFL all of a sudden goes, okay, we might have the MCG available in October, in November, in December. So that's something that, um, that will be very interesting for both cricket and AFL to have a look at. And um, the other one is the IPLs, the, the big one in cricket as well, that could be postponed until September. That, that should be played around about now. So there's a lot of money in that competition and a lot of players that could lose a couple of million dollars if that doesn't go ahead. Yeah, well, absolutely. One's uh, certainly Pat Cummins. But I think, as we've seen, the ICC, let's be honest, they're pretty much ran by... India, uh, Indian Cricket League. So uh, the IPL brings in a lot of money to the not only India but to the ICC. So um, I think they'll be pushing for that World Cup to be early next year instead. And as you see with our border restrictions as well, Daniel, I don't think they're going to be lifted anytime soon. No, exactly right. We're going to move on to soccer. So FIFA is the governing body of soccer and, and rules on everything around the world. And um, they do want leagues to go ahead. They do want seasons to be finished. And I guess the main reason for that is financially is a massive um, factor, but they want um, teams to finish at the end of the season and, and have Champions League spots, have relegation, um, have all these things happen so that leagues can continue and go ahead and they don't have to make these tough decisions on what teams might be in the Champions League next year and what teams might be relegated. So. On that, uh, Liverpool fans will be very nervous. I'm a Liverpool fan myself, and they haven't won the title in 30 years. Um, this year, absolute certainty to win it they were, and it, there was no way they couldn't win it. And the only thing that's maybe going to stop them is coronavirus. And so they, they only needed two more wins in their last nine games to claim the title. So it's, it's all but done. But if they don't get the season played out, there's a chance that they might not actually award a Premier um, and a winner, so that, that would be very devastating for Liverpool fans. Um, they've touched on a potential 8th of June restart, so that's uh, about a month away, and then that way they'd be able to finish their season off in a couple of months. Um, they'll require players to be training in the next couple of weeks, and to be honest, when you think about Italy, you think about France, England, all those countries, they're, they're way behind Australia at the moment, and so it would be difficult to see that happening. They had just started back in Germany some training, but um, again, they're a long way off. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the top leagues around around the world in soccer. And just on that, Juventus, Barcelona and Bayern Munich all top their leagues and, and we'll be looking for the season to finish, obviously, to push on for another title. On to America, we're going to go to the NBA. So beginning on May 8th, which is just around the corner, players will be able to train and receive treatment at team buildings as long as it can be done safely. So. The return this year seems less and less likely with each day that passes by and um, there's been teams talk about that they won't get a season in and 
The reason being is they're 64 of their 82 games in, so they've only got 18 games to go and then playoffs. So I can see both sides here. Let's just play the last 18, get playoffs done, and we'll be done. But then at the same time, you've got teams like the Golden State Warriors who are right down the bottom going, look, the season's done, we'll just worry about next year. So it's a, it's a very interesting one for the NBA, and no doubt the other sports in America will, will look at them and, and follow its suit. So I think... Um, if you remember back, um, the the NBA was actually the first league to postpone um, any sports uh, when Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz actually was the first person to test positive just before he was about to play a game. And I remember looking back at the, the time and thinking, well, what, what is going on here? The NBA has made a massive call and um, they were the first ones. And once they did it, every other sport followed suit. And so... They will um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. And um, I guess for Lakers fans and Bucks fans, they're, they're the two teams that led the conferences and, and are absolutely LeBron's every chance to win a championship if it does go ahead. So that will be one that we'll wait on. The NHL is very similar to the NBA. They're the same stage of the season and, and they will um, look to get started in June and, and follow basically what the NBA does. On to NFL, and um, our, our guest is coming up who, who just recently got picked up um, in the NFL, and so it'll be interesting to chat to him about this. But um, they actually had an online draft just a week ago with a lot of success. Um, so they teams drafted from their living rooms. Um, you saw coaches literally sitting there on their own um, with their laptop in front of them and um, just something completely different. But um, they managed to do it, and they managed to work pretty well. So um, it might be something in the future that if that needs to happen they, they at least know they've got the runs on the board now uh, their season is scheduled to start on September the 10th so they're looking to go ahead as planned and um, and if everything keeps playing out the way it could then the NFL shouldn't be affected as badly as some of these other sports and they they have a lot of contingencies in place where they can move the season back by about five weeks um, each, each time if things go worse and they'll still give them enough time to complete their season the Major League Baseball is an interesting one that um, they've probably proposed the most radical plan thus far, and, and that's they've talked about all teams um, moving to Arizona and playing in a hub there for a month. And so there's about 10 different venues in Arizona that are within, are within 50 miles of each other, and they talked about every single team in America moving there and, and playing game after game after game until things start to clear up. So. That would be one that um, would be interesting to see if that does get any more legs. Um, at this stage, they're saying that they're just looking to condense their season because logistically that will be a nightmare to put everyone in a hub, as we've talked about with the AFL. So they could um, easily go ahead um, just with a much more condensed season. And, and the other thing they've talked about, which um, we're still waiting to see what happens here in Australia, they've talked about playing in front of no fans for a, for a large part of the season, which... Um, is obviously not what you want, but it might be the only way that they can go. On to college sports, and we're just going to touch on the NCAA March Madness, um, which is a basketball competition. It's a massive competition around the world. Um, each year, it's it's worth more than a billion dollars, and and the NCAA their their hand was forced in the end, and they had to cancel that competition, and so they lost a lot of money there. A lot of students within their final year of um, college and weren't able to go and play, and um, that's just something that's obviously fallen by the wayside due to coronavirus. On to golf. Um, 
Night of one here that I'm glad has been postponed rather than cancelled is the Masters. It's postponed to November the 12th, so that looks like it should still go ahead um, if things do clear up as, as things are going because obviously you've got players from all over the world um, they are going to come to that and the Masters is one of the greatest sporting events in the world and so hopefully we will see some golf um, at Augusta later in the year. The Open uh, is the Great Britain uh, major that's been cancelled. Um, the USPGA and the US Open are the other majors. They, they've been postponed, so they should be played as well. Interesting one with tennis is Wimbledon cancelled their, um, their uh, major this year for 2020. So they're just going to move straight to 2021. The French Open has actually postponed there, so they didn't quite um, go down the same pathway as Wimbledon. And they're going to look to have theirs in September 20 and um, to finish at the start of October. We're going to move to horse racing and horse racing has still been running and is one of the last standing sports in Australia. Uh, this has been huge for the industry because obviously with no other sport on weekends, um, a lot of people have turned to horse racing and um, put a lot of money into horse racing, probably punted more than they should have to be honest, Nina, but um, they, uh, they did have a very close call with Mark Zara, uh, one of the jockeys who they thought he could have coronavirus very early days and he tested negative to it and they kept pushing forward. So if he actually had a tested positive, then there's no doubt the, um, the uh, whole horse racing industry would have closed down as well. The last one we're going to touch on is the Olympics, which was due to be scheduled um, in 2020 in Tokyo, Japan. And so they took a fair bit of time in making their decision because, um, as I'll allude to here, you have no doubt why they would do that. And the reason being is that they're going to lose $4.5 billion, they reckon, by postponing the games by exactly one year. So they have decided to move it back by one year to 2021. Um, a, a heavy loss for Japan and for all those athletes out there who normally have to wait four years they're now going to have to wait five years to compete so the good news there is we, we still have the Olympics going ahead next year but um, it's just going to have to wait so that um, there is our wrap in sports and um, we're going to be joined next by our special guest Aaron Sipos. So it's time now that we introduce our first guest on the show. And so in doing that, we thought that with the NFL draft taking place over the last week, be fitting that we get a former AFL player, an Aussie who has converted to punting and it's paid off for him. And he's just got signed by the Detroit Lions. Aaron Sipos, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, mate. Really appreciate it. No worries at all, mate. So uh, just we'll touch on that. So you just recently got signed um, by the Detroit Lions. You spent five years at the Saints uh, and played 28 games in the AFL. Um, just run us through your path. How basically when you finished up at St Kilda, how you got to, I guess, America, you, you, got, you went to Auburn, um, played there, and then how you obviously got to uh, the Detroit Lions. Yeah, look, it's um, obviously a bit of an interesting story and um, it's been a great journey so far, so hopefully it continues. But um, uh, after I got delisted by St Kilda, uh, I was 22 at the time, I think, and um, I still wanted to get back into the AFL system, to be honest. I thought I'd still had the talent to be able to, to do that. Um, so I still hadn't really thought about, you know, being a punter just yet. Uh, but it was always, I guess, in the back of my mind, it's something that I wanted to do, but... Um, originally, I signed with Williamstown in, in the VFL, um, thinking that would give me the best chance to kind of get back into the AFL system and 
um, just kind of went from there to start off with. But, um, you know, I've played there. I think I'd been there for about 18 months and I saw a couple of guys that had um, converted themselves over to being a punter as well, do really well in the college system. And I thought, well, if, they, if those guys can do it, then maybe I should really give it a go and um, try and try and shake it up and see what I can do. So I uh, spoke to Nathan Chapman, who's the director at Pro Kick Australia, and got in contact with him and went down for a session at Gosh's Paddock there. And um, it worked out really, really well. He was he was obviously really pleased with what I was able to do and thought I was able to, you know, go and play at a really good school in, in the college in America. And it turned out to be Auburn University, which was really, really exciting. In 2017, I got offered a scholarship in November of 2017. So it all happened pretty fast, um, which was exciting. And... Um, yeah, it led me obviously the opportunity to, to play my first game in 2018 for Auburn University. It's been a great couple of years, and um, you know, as I said, I really look forward to kind of what lies ahead, and, and hopefully that's at a as a Detroit Lion. Good, good mate. Well done. That's um, that's really good to hear. And I guess for for me and for a lot of other um, people who play AFL or any sport in Australia, you sort of wonder, um, I guess, the pathway and how you actually make it there, and. Um, and whether it's just kicking the ball high or long, a lot of people are a little bit unsure. Run us through, is, it, is there particular kicks that you need to nail more so rather than height and distance, or is it more um, time in the air? What sort of what are things that are looked for, I guess, by scouts nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, you, you pretty much said it yourself, is that obviously they do have a, you know, a big focus on uh, making sure you do have great hang time and, and good distance to go along with that. Um, I think the Americans really just like seeing a big ball and it hangs up there for a long time and, out, you know, your teammate can get down there and kind of stop them from being able to return the ball, which is obviously pretty good. But um, I guess, it, you know, with the Australians coming over and having a bit more of an influence that, you know, the versatility's kind of really excelled in probably the last two or three years in the punting game and, um, you know, the, the drop punts being, you know, come in a lot more too and, you know, the direction as well. So being able to go right or left and really pin the team, you know, on the sidelines with really good, you know, 45, 50-yard balls is probably just as crucial now. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of versatility to go to go with it and um, it's certainly made the game, I guess, a lot more interesting from a punting aspect. Yeah, absolutely. So what would be your specialty kick? What would be your go-to kick and how often would you kick it? Would you kick drop punts, obviously, but would you kick torps? Would you, is there anything else? And, and yeah, which, what sort of percentage would you go to them? Yeah, I mean, obviously, mainly I'd like to be able to kick the torpedo. That's mainly what you want to do because that's going to be your furthest kick to really get that good yardage and, you know, as they like to call it over here, flip the field. So, you know, your defense can kind of go out there and, be a bit more aggressive and hopefully get a couple of sacks and things like that. So you certainly want to focus on that side of things. Um, the drop punt's obviously really good for that direction. Um, you probably have more control over it, which is really good too. So something us Australians are really, really natural at, which is good. And, um, you know, I've tried a couple of other things like the banana kicks and, and like floaters just so the returner doesn't get comfortable with the one kick that you're kicking all the time. And, um, they certainly get a little bit uncomfortable under the ball because it kind of moves all over the place and that's kind of cool to watch and hopefully you get them to drop the ball and uh, my team can go re to recover it and all of a sudden we've got the ball again on, on a plus 20 line and maybe looking to score, which is good. So um, 
certainly different aspects and different kicks to try and um, you know use and have up my sleeve to make sure they're really effective on game day. Yeah, good. And so, um, have you actually? So it just led me to think about this. When you've actually kicked it, sort of what? I mean, a lot of punters sort of kick it, and that's sort of their their role done, I guess. Yeah. Have you laid any tackles, or you had any good stories that you got for the boys, or you've actually had an impact? And I guess the Americans have sort of been a bit surprised. Yeah, no, I've been lucky. I haven't really had to lay a tackle just yet. Um, there was one time though where we were playing Oregon. Um, last year, the first game of the year, and um, one guy got a really big return, and uh, I was in a pretty good position to be able to tackle him. And then I just saw this big, three hundred and fifty pound O lineman just coming straight at me, and he just he just pounded me into the ground, and I just like kept rolling back about four or five yards. So um, that wasn't very impressive, but um, it's like it's pretty surreal to see like you know how fast pace is and. Um, I make sure I, I definitely made sure I didn't want that to happen again. So I just try and get fair catches every single time. Now. Yeah, it's probably a fair call, mate. So um, <laughs> just on that. So obviously you're at Auburn, and um, you've got. I think the different thing is with AFL, and probably people who don't follow NFL as much probably don't realise that you've got obviously a couple of there's three sides to the game in, in NFL, and you've obviously got your offense, your defense, and your, your special teams, and. So I guess the question I've got with that is that I'm really intrigued about is in terms of training, in terms of weights, how does that look for someone like you? And then obviously how does that look um, for your bigger guys, your offensive linemen, your defensive linemen, and, and maybe how it compares to AFL? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the, the strength and conditioning guys over here, have, um, I guess, really have to think about those three different you know, groups or four groups that you have, like your O-linemen, D-linemen and wide receivers and that, it's 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 pretty crazy. I guess in the AFL system, the strength and conditioning guys can focus on one particular kind of um, goal and that's for everyone to be as fit as possible um, and, and, you know, really feel like they're in good shape. So, you know, for over here, the O-linemen and the D-linemen eat um, unbelievable amounts of food. I don't think I've ever seen it in my life how much food that they intake because they have to maintain that weight. Um, and then obviously when it comes to their strength thing, they are relatively strong. So it means that they um, can just put on massive amounts of weight on there and be lifting 400, 500 kilos and just really, really strong. Um, so that's that, that's kind of the difference and then when the wide receivers and the i guess the dbs like to they're a bit more fitter so they don't lift as heavier weights and that's probably more what the afl is like so it's like making sure they're still lean in good shape um but are still physically strong ready to go out there and compete on the weekend so uh, mine's a little bit different i focus a lot of, on um probably my legs more than what i've ever done really yeah. Um, being that I want to have that strength in that area and just being able to drive the ball out um, as much as possible, I definitely focus on my legs a lot more and, and things like that. So um, there's many different aspects to it all and it's crazy kind of what the boys put in their bodies and, and how much work they put into it um, and that from a weights perspective. I guess the other side of it too is probably the speed. So I guess as the AFL guys, they focus a lot on their speed endurance, I guess as you would know. and running 150s to 400 meter runs like non-stop and all the time whereas i don't think i don't think i've run more than probably 60 meters in total like in one in one here it's just all the first short speed stuff explosive because that's how the game is 
here. You just have a short play, you get a 15 to 30 second rest, and then you have another short play. So that you know, they definitely focus on that burst of speed and things like that more so than what obviously what they do in the AFL. I bet it's nice not to have to do the 2K time trials. Absolutely. I, I look back and just smile every single time. I don't have to worry about it. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> now that we're on that, actually, so we talk in locker rooms, you, you talk about different sports and you watch NFL, you watch NBA and talk about how good the athletes are and whether other guys could play that sport. And you touched on a little bit the, the DBs and wide receivers maybe trained similarly to AFL players. How good, you've obviously been on the field with them, how actually good are they and athletically gifted are they? And Like if we had our freak athlete, I don't know, you look at Buddy Franklin and you talk about guys that can move really well and, and have something to them, how would they compare if they were to actually have a crack at it? I mean, I think I think guys like that are more than capable of coming over here and being able to play as a wide receiver or, or a tight end position. I think Buddy Franklin would fit in perfectly. So, um, you know, the athletes over here are absolutely incredible. They have genuine speed. Um, their vertical jump is, is through the roof. It's incredible. Um, and, and just how much explosiveness that they have. Um, I would say the one thing that they probably would struggle with is the endurance side of things if they came over and tried to play our sport. Yeah. Um, so that's maybe where we would have the advantage is that we have a little bit of speed, but we also have that endurance to kind of keep going again. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, incre- it's, it's incredible what these guys are able to do, how high they're able to jump to go catch a ball or um, their strength that they have to be able to block someone. Um, or their agility as well to be able to get around a defender and that and make sure they can get past them to try and catch a ball. So, um, you know, it's obviously awesome to watch, but I guess the other side of it too is that they kind of come up to me and ask me and um, to show them some videos of what our game was like and I show them and they, they're just as impressed about what we're able to do too, which is, which is pretty cool, I guess, as well. Yeah, no, that is. It's it's really cool. It's um, something that yeah, guys definitely talk about it over here. And um, I guess on that as well, for you, how much of the actual tactics around the game do you feel like you're across, and how long does it take maybe to pick those things up? Like we, we touched on, maybe some players could go over and try and be a wide receiver, but would it take years and years, almost like it does, gradually learning it through AFL? You pick it up along the way, or is it something that you could get it in a season or two? Oh, no, I think that the way the playbooks and that are over here are, um, you know, 300 pages kind of long and they're just... uh, It may technically be the same thing or anything, but there's just different ways to run routes and things like that. And, um, you know, I certainly haven't got my head around all the offense and defense side of things. From a special teams point of view, it's relatively simple, which is great. Um, you know, so that that's obviously handy to have. But from an offense and defensive point of view, I'd say it would take a long time to kind of get your head around a game plan, um, get your head around which position to be in, the routes to run, who to block, and things like that. So um, I think that's half. I think that's half the problem. Maybe if guys do come over here and want to try and um, get themselves involved with NFL, obviously Jaron Haynes is probably the best example that used to play in the NRL and. Yep tried to come over here as a running back. And I think um, from what I heard, he just more had trouble with knowing the game plan and knowing which route to run and which hole that he needed to go to to be effective. And that was probably half the issue with it all. So, um, yeah, it certainly would take a little bit of time. But if you have the dedication and, and that, like, you know, to be able to come and do it, then 
you know, by all means. Yeah, good. Interesting. So we'll, we'll finish with one more on college before we get on to the, uh, the NFL. Just run us through basically what's college football like? What is actually going to college like? Is it like it is in the movies? Is it like we all um, wonder what it could be like and um, how enjoyable it actually is? How, how did you find the whole experience? Yeah, look, I, I can honestly say that everything you see on the movies and that about college in America is absolutely true. There's that no, is awesome. no doubt. It's uh, there's there's no um, there's no beating around it. It's whatever whatever you see is absolutely true, which is awesome. So, um, you know, you've got all the football team, little sport teams wearing their big puffed up jackets and um, blazers and things like that, walk around the school sometimes. Uh, the parties are obviously pretty incredible, you know, the red cups everywhere and thousands of people outside a house, a fraternity. So that's obviously pretty cool. And, um, you know, obviously people try and breeze through it a little bit because they like the party side of things a little bit more. But, um, yeah, it's been an incredible experience, honestly. From from a football point of view alone, um, playing in front of 90,000 people every single week is something that I couldn't have imagined, to be honest. And... Um, you know, in the AFL system, you may be fortunate to do that maybe once or twice, and if you make a grand final or play in a big, big finals game and something like that, which is obviously awesome. But to be able to do it every single week, and whether you're at home or away, um, is pretty incredible. Um, and I guess that kind of sets yourself up, hopefully, to be just as effective at the NFL level if you get to that opportunity. And um, something I'll definitely will, will never forget. I was going to say it's it's amazing how parochial they actually are over there around their their sports, but not just at the college sports. And um, yeah, you touched on a little bit the atmosphere at, at games and at grounds. Does it compare with AFL a full stadium? Is it different, or is it how would you basically um, see that? And then even away games, like you would have played maybe played at Alabama potentially in the past couple yeah. of years. Yeah, that, I have. I mean, that would be incredible. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, uh, comparing it to the AFL is a little bit different. I guess normally um, in the AFL, you normally have, I guess, I guess it's probably more of a neutral ground, as you would say. So if you got to play it, um, you know, I think it's called Marvel Stadium now. I can't really remember, but yeah. I think it's Marvel Stadium. And, <laughs> um, you know, it's obviously, um, you know, St Kilda and Essendon will be playing, or it's both kind of their home ground. So you'd probably have more an even kind of fan base. You know, Geelong obviously is a little bit different. You would have predominantly Geelong fans wherever they go, but, you, you know, you hold probably 40, 50,000 seats there. But um, I guess with the college atmosphere, it's if you're at home, well, it's 90,000 fans completely going for you yeah. and then screaming and yelling when the opposition's offense is on. It's just unbelievably loud. Um and then when you're on the road, it's literally 90,000, 100,000 people against you all screaming against you, hoping that you mess up. And um, I, don't think I've, I don't think I've ever been in a place where it's been that loud in my life. I remember um, going to Florida this year, just gone, and they had 90, they've got 97,000 people. And the stadium just literally goes straight up. So it feels like everybody's literally on top of you. And just, it was unbelievably loud. It was unbelievable. And... I couldn't even hear the person next to me talking to me and I think he was screaming and just could not hear what he was saying. And honestly, it was just unbelievable. So, um, you know, truly great experience, something that I would never, you know, believed I'd be able to do in my wildest dreams. But, um, yeah, atmospheres like that are just out of this world, which was awesome. 
That is, mate. That is that is awesome to hear. So we'll move on to the NFL now. So you obviously got picked up um, by the Detroit Lions um, just recently. Where are things at? Obviously, with coronavirus at the moment, um, there's maybe a little bit of uncertainty there. And I guess, have you been to Detroit? You're currently in Alabama and Auburn. Um, what's your plans and when you might go up there, training camp and everything from there? Yeah, so I'm not 100% sure exactly when I'll, I'll go up there. Um, I haven't been there yet because um, flights are very limited and um, kind of each state has um, kind of shut its borders down. So there's not really a lot going on. But um, hopefully, hopefully, um, maybe in the next month or so, I might be able to get up there. But if not, then I'm going to have to kind of prepare myself to just go up there when training camp um, is organised and ready to go by the end of July. So... In the meantime, I guess I just have to stay here in Auburn and kind of do my training that way and um, have my own little home gym and go to fields and keep kicking and things like that. So um, it's all a bit strange. Obviously, when you normally get drafted um, or sign as a free agent, you're normally up you know, wherever you are within the next two or three days and you're straight into it. So um, it is a bit bizarre at the moment, but I guess um, you just got to prepare yourself for whenever that time will come. Uh, to go up there and make sure that you, you're ready to go. Yeah, and I guess an advantage of being a punter in the times that we're in at the moment, you're obviously able to still kick and, and lift weights. You don't necessarily need the others around you, um, I guess, to actually run plays and whatnot. So that's probably one thing that's um, in your advantage through this time. I think with that, so basically your goal is then to make the um, squad for the, the regular season and then obviously play the season and go from there? Yeah, that's right. So um, the way the NFL works, I guess, is a little bit different to the AFL. Um, you know, one being that there's no real signing as a free agent if you don't get drafted. Um, and and two, if you do get drafted in the AFL, it's a two-year contract or whatever, and you have those two years um, pretty much guaranteed. Um, you know, it's a little bit different here, whereas, um, yeah, you can sign as a free agent or get drafted and, and have a three- or four-year deal, but essentially they can cut you at any time. So um, it's pretty brutal. Very brutal. Um, you have to try and make the most of, the most of your, your opportunity to go and, and make the squad. And obviously it starts at about 90 players and drops down to 53. So it is pretty brutal. Um, the good thing for me is that I, I am going to be competing with just one other guy for the punting position. So I guess if I, if I win that, then I... Uh, make the 53-man roster and, and look forward to kind of the season ahead, which is great. So, you know, the next three or four months are, are pretty crucial and I've got to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to give myself the advantage and making sure I prepare well. And, um, you know, I feel good about it all, which is great. And having the opportunity is pretty exciting. So i just got to go out there and, and just take it. And, um, you know, hopefully the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, mate, let's hope so. Let's hope that you can make that squad and, and um, can have a really good season ahead when things actually do do go back to normal. So um, just on how, how's the body? You had three shoulder recos when you were playing AFL. Um, we touched on obviously punting. You won't hopefully get as much contact um, when you're doing it. How is the body holding up? How, how does it feel in general? Yeah, look, it's feeling really good now, obviously. Um you know, not having, as you said, not having to actually really have that physical contact is kind of a good thing. And, um, you know, I probably haven't had a real significant hit on my body in the last two or three years, but I've always, you know, I'm still obviously conditioned to be able to take it if, if it needs to happen. Um, you know, I still practice tackling and things like that to make sure that, 
you know, if the time comes, I'm ready to go out there and do it and be effective. Um, but I guess the body, the body doesn't need to take it as much, which is really good. And um, I feel great at the moment. Um, you know, the shoulders obviously holding up really, really well, and the legs are feeling really good too, which is obviously an important aspect um, when it comes to kicking. And um, yeah, I, I feel I feel really good at the moment, and hope I'm sure that can, will continue. And as I said, I've just got to keep preparing my body the best way possible to make sure that I'm effective. Yeah, great point there, mate. So what we're going to finish on is we've got a segment coming up in our last part of the podcast. It's a top 10 question related that we're going to ask you. And so today we're going to the top 10 most memorable moments of the decade. Um, so you think about different sports um, all over the world. Is there anything that stands out to you, comes to mind that you remember watching? You might have even been at St. Kilda at the time. You remember watching with teammates, Um Anything that on off the cusp right now that you can think of that um, that might be in our top ten? Oh, the Bulldogs premiership drought being broken in 2016. I think that I'm I'm hoping that's obviously one of the top tens because that was a pretty incredible moment. Um, you know, finishing where they finished, I guess, with I think sixth or seventh or something in the seventh that year the finals, yeah. and yep. um, you know, obviously winning the premiership from that position, which is pretty impressive. So, I'd like to think that'd be in the top ten, but we'll wait and see. We will, we will. That's a great <laughs> one, mate. Well done. Um, again, thanks very much for joining us today, Aaron. We really appreciate it, and um, obviously, a big NFL fan myself. I'm an Eagles fan, but um, I can tell. <laughs> um, but I uh, got over there a couple of years ago and um, got to look around the rooms with Cam Johnson and that was a pretty good experience. But um, hopefully we'll be watching you run around for the Lions this year, mate, and and, um, and making the most of that. And just want to wish you all the best going forward. Thank you very much, mate. I really appreciate you having me on. And um, Yeah, it's exciting times. It's now time for the top 10 on Men's World of Sports. It's time for our weekly countdown, and here we have our top 10 most memorable sporting moments of the decade. So just before we jump into that, I just want to, I guess, um, convey to the audience exactly what these are so you have an idea as to how I come up with this top 10, um, how I come up with this order. And so basically, these are moments that um, I remember, and hopefully a lot of our audience will remember witnessing and I guess moments where they had such an impact on you that you will remember it forever and they're those goosebumps moments, those forever moments um, is how I would sum it up. And so um, with that in mind, we're going to jump straight into our number 10. We're going to count all the way down to number one and um, hopefully we bring back some really good memories for those people out there listening and um, certainly some of my favourite memories. So we're going to kick it off here, our top 10 most memorable sporting moments of the decade. Here we go at number 10. Sheed's too long, Maynard can't get there. Sheed, did he play on? Did he take a step? It's a clever shepherd from Rioli. Well, that's a question. Was Maynard blocked out of that one? He probably was. If he kicks the goal, I think West Coast can win the grand final. Two minutes and just under. Massive. Sheed from the boundary. Needs to be in perfect. He is. He's got the most impossible goal. Unbelievable, the most acute angling footy. So there it is, number 10. Great call by BT there. Dom Sheed's 2018 grand final goal. This one uh, will go down forever and be talked about for generations um, to come. 
I mean, Dom Sheed now effectively is that player who, when kids grow up in the back backyard, they're out the back having shots at goal. Mum's called dinner time. It's it's basically a shot to win the grand final. And although this wasn't after the siren, it's a goal that puts your team in front and wins your team the grand final. And something that you you, you only dream about, to be honest. And um, I remember watching it and thinking. Oh my God, if, if he kicks this and they hold on, he'll go down as a hero forever. And that's goosebumps that moment. So that's our number 10 moment. At number nine. Ben Stokes at number nine, his head in the league test heroics, 135 not out uh, just last year in 2019 to win the test match against Australia. It was one that, I remember watching this live and um, we had that in the commentary there. There were so many opportunities for the Australians to actually win the test match. I mean, Nida, you're a big cricket nuff. This would be one that definitely um, you'd remember and you probably have a few regrets around too. Mate, it still stings to this day. I was sitting on couch with my housemates, obviously thinking that Australia have got it. And I believe I put up a status when there was about nine wickets down, 90 odd runs to win, saying the urn's coming home. So uh, it's fair to say I copped it a little bit about that. But a great individual performance, but it was horrible to watch as an Australian. Yeah, you're right. It was a great individual performance. And um, the amount of opportunities, Nathan Lyon missed the run out. Um, Australia then used a review when they uh, when England only needed a couple of runs. and. And they needed that re review only a couple of balls later because they actually would have won the test match by a run. And, and then obviously they didn't have that up their sleeve and, and Ben Stokes um, hit that boundary. And um, I remember thinking that if no one has ever done this before, they talked about that, there's no way that he'll do it. And I remember thinking that myself watching it live. And um, although you're barracking for Australia, the thought went through my head, if, if he actually does do this, um, it will be an incredible day. And if you're an Englishman at that ground at Headingley, that probably would be your greatest sporting experience uh, you've ever had and, and the one you'll remember forever. And that's the reason why that makes my list at number nine. At number eight. This is the winning ride of the Tour de France. Bet your boots on it as Cadell Evans of Australia makes history today. Look at the crowd and there's thousands of Australians here. Let me remind you as he grits his teeth and pulls for Australia. Cadell Evans cannot be beaten now. He is over a minute to the good. He has absolutely slaughtered his opposition in just 42 and a half kilometers of racing. His time is 55.40. It's second best on the day. He's and there it is. That was Phil Liggett commentary there. Uh, unbelievable commentator, and he summed it up really well. Cadell Evans, 2011 Tour de France win, and no Australian has ever won the Tour before. And um, I guess it was documented every day as the Tour went on over here in Australia that he was closer and closer to winning. And um, I guess he needed to stay up uh, with a couple of the really good climbers up the Pyrenees, and that was the Schleck brothers. And 
Uh, if he did that, then it would come down to the time trial, which he definitely had the advantage in. And um, when he crossed the line um, in that time trial, it was obvious that Australia had their first Tour de France um, winner and uh, the moment was summed up really well by Phil Liggett there. So Cadell Evans comes in at our number eight, his 2011 Tour de France win. At number seven. Gatlin got a good enough start. Bob was a bit slow to begin. He's got some work to do. Gatlin's in front. Bob stretching out now. That moment there was Usain Bolt's third straight 100-metre gold medal win. And um, that was one that 2016 that was. I remember watching it, and um, as a lot of the world did, you watch it and you think, geez, I just I hope he gets up here because for his legacy, um, it's going to be incredible if he does this. If he wins the gold in the 2008 Olympics, the 2012 and 2016, um, if there's one event you want to win at the Olympics, Nida, it's the 100 metres. And to do it in three consecutive Olympic Games um, is absolutely incredible. And it's um, it's not easy to back up and win event after event. And um, there's a lot of guys that are pushing and, and trying to beat you every single time. And um, for no one to be able to do that at the Olympic Games, um, I guess you're in pure awe at what he's achieved. And that's a moment that, um, yeah, you remember sitting there and thinking, wow, this is incredible what I've just witnessed in history. Well, he's a young man. It's a young man's event as well, and he certainly wasn't that coming to the end of it. But uh, glad that he stuck to the 100 meter sprinting over the soccer, that's for sure. At number six. There it is at number six, the Chicago Cubs in baseball won the 2016 World Series. And the reason that one made our list is uh, personally, it was a highlight of mine. I was in Chicago at the time and uh, the Cubs were down 3-1 in the series and managed to come back and, and win it 4-3, which, I mean, I guess that's probably huge enough, but um, the fact that they hadn't actually won a World Series in 108 years um, made a, a, an incredible couple of days in Chicago and um, absolutely one of the longest droughts in the history of any sport. And for it to go to an extra innings uh, in, in Game 7 of the World Series, um, it's been talked about as the best World Series game ever. And um, I guess the moments where they hit the go-ahead runs and that last out, um, being in a bar in Chicago, you, you remember that. That and it's um, pure elation for the people there lived in Chicago and, and it's absolutely one of the moments of the century, that one. At number five. The biggest moment of his career. Adam Scott. Yes! Adam Scott. A life changer. There it was at number five, Adam Scott's 2013 Masters win and uh, massive event there. He's the first Australian ever to win the Masters and personally I remember watching this um, at the Janjuk Surf Life Saving Club with the Geelong um, Footy Club and we're watching it in the morning over here. It's obviously Sunday afternoon over there and it's Monday morning over here and um, the, the Masters is just an incredible event to watch for anyone who watches it, whether you like golf or don't. And, um, you just heard it there, his two putts, one to finish the round and the one that actually won in the Masters tournament are moments that I think a lot of Aussies will never forget. On to number four. QBR fans are jumping up and down, maybe there's more news, more favourable news for them. It's finished at Sunderland. 
Manchester United have done all they can. That Rooney goal was enough for the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! That was number four, Sergio Aguero's goal in the Man City title win in 2012 and that was some absolutely outstanding commentary and is well worth a watch on YouTube that one. It's um, gone down as the most dramatic finish in EPL history and couldn't have been scripted any better to be honest. Um, Man City were at home, they needed to win their first title in 44 years. They're playing against Queen's Park Rangers who were actually looking to avoid relegation. So going into the game you're thinking okay well they're going to win, they're, they're playing one of the bottom teams in the league, there's no doubt they'll get this done and they're down 2-1 heading into stoppage time and Man United who were the other team that could actually take the title away from them, their, their crosstown rival. Um, had actually uh, had beat Sunderland as well. So a man a draw would not be enough. They'd need to win. Eden Dzeko then scored in the 90th minute and with four minutes uh, time extra added, uh, Sergio Aguero scored at the 93 minute and 20 second mark on the clock to give Man City the most dramatic win in Premier League history at home in front of their fans. Um, and so it's absolutely a great moment to witness and, and absolutely, if you haven't seen it, um, it's well worth the YouTube video. From here, we're gonna to go to our top three. So, coming in at number three. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up to the left! Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James with the rejection! Irving and Curry, one-on-one, -on -one. Irving puts it up, it's good! So there at number three is Cleveland winning their first NBA title in 2016 and I think um, a lot of people watched this series. It was uh, Cleveland and LeBron against the 73-win Golden State Warriors and he hadn't been able to win a championship in Cleveland and, and left obviously to go to Miami to get that title and got a couple of them. But he did vow that he'd come back to Cleveland and bring the championship home and so they, they were actually down 3-1 in the series. and. It just looked like the, the Golden State Warriors were going to be too good and there was talk about them adding Kevin Durant in the next season as well. And if it didn't happen this year, it probably wasn't going to happen. And, and those two moments in Game 7, LeBron James' block on, on Iguodala and Kyrie Evans' three-pointer to seal it in the dying minutes are plays that um, you absolutely get goosebumps and, and will remember forever. That leads us into number two. So the number two memorable sporting moment of the decade. undrafted rookie running back tossing to a third string tight end throwing to a backup quarterback there isn't a play in the playbook that illustrates what makes this Philly team special more than the Philly special 
There it was, uh, number two, it's the Philly Special, and um, I am a little bit biased here because I am a Philadelphia Eagles fan, but um, this was in 2018, the Eagles played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and it had the most offensive yards in the Super Bowl ever. It was an incredible game to watch. The Eagles prevailed 41 to 33, and I was watching it in the Geelong rooms, and um, I'll never forget uh, the, the Patriots played the Falcons the year before, and were down 28 to three, and, um, and managed to pull off one of the most incredible comebacks ever. And so you never felt comfortable that they would hold on the Eagles. And that play there was the moment that you'll never forget, named the Philly special where um, obviously it's, it's such an underdog play that their quarterback did their ACL just before they got to playoffs and um, they, they were never a chance to win. And, and um, that, that summed them up really well. So that one there came in at number two. From there we go to our number one moment of the most memorable sporting moments of the decade and this one is one that uh, I have no doubt a lot of people will remember um, and um, it would definitely would have had an effect on them and because and, I guess a lot of people could probably understand this one and, and share some sort of um, empathy and, and so here we have it at number one. Many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. The conquering hero. 14 years since his last Masters victory. He wins his fifth green jacket. Number one, Tiger Woods 2019 Masters victory. And this one um, was a pretty easy one for me to put at the top of the list. I remember watching it just last year, obviously, and it's it's one that you, you watch it at the time. It's it's Sunday afternoon over there, and it's Monday here in Australia, Monday morning. And we um, I was at the Sydney Swans at the time, and we had a review and training in the afternoon, so we were able to watch the, the round of golf at home. and. Um, I guess the sheer magnitude of what he achieved and what he overcome is the reason why this is a clear number one. Tiger had won four Masters tournaments before this in 97, 01, 02 and 05, but um, he hadn't actually won one since his, his major scandals and since he crashed his car in 2009 and from there went on had severe back surgeries and, and a lot of knee surgeries as well and so this is just absolutely one of the, um, one of the stories that's completely stacked against the odds and and I mean, partly because of his own doing, but also because of his age and his body and, and what happened. And so I remember watching it live and, and to win the way he did, I remember thinking, if he can hold on and win this, um, it's a day I'll remember forever. And I think a lot of people will. And um, watching him walk up the 18th green with a two shot lead, um, the crowd knowing he pretty much had it wrapped up um, was, a, was an incredible moment in sport. And, the image of him hugging his son after the round um, was emotional as sports gets. And so that is the reason why Tiger Woods 2019 Masters victory is our number one in the top 10 most memorable sporting moments of the decade. So there we have it for our first episode of Men's World of Sports. Nida, thanks for joining me on this first episode. Mate, it's been fantastic. I'll tell you what, the viewers are gonna get a lot of knowledge about world sport and uh, be able to keep up with the game and the top tens there's a few uh, heartbreaking moments in there and um, some really good memories that uh, bring, bring back for myself and no doubt the people listening so they're going to enjoy those back and um, no it's going to be good to see what we come up with in the next few few episodes Daniel. Yeah it's a great point the, the commentary there was an absolute standout and um, brings back some really good memories and um, we definitely have some interesting things coming up some really good top tens going forward um, there's some guests 
that I want to get into from all around the world as well that um, we'll bring to you and and share with you and, and we'll keep on top of all the sports around the world. There's obviously not a lot being played at the moment, but um, with the nature of everything at the moment, things are moving pretty quickly and we should hopefully have an update on a lot of sports as we go forward in these episodes and and hopefully in the long run be covering um, games and, 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 and crowds at sports as well, I guess, because that's all what we all want. And um, it's something that um, anyone who's got any passion in sport will absolutely um, be hanging out for. So thanks very much for joining us on this first episode and we'll see you next time.